and welcome to episode 52 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. I'm Brian Dinovellis, and what a show we have for you today. Seton Hall comes from 17 down to stun 15th-ranked UConn. Now, the Huskies did bounce back in a big way against Butler. I mean, who doesn't these days? Teams are licking their chops when Butler comes to town. There was no garden party for St. John's. The Red Storm fizzled against Villanova, and let's face it, this is not Jay Wright's Villanova team. This isn't even your son's Villanova team. It's a different Villanova team that came in and beat the pants off of St. John's down the stretch. We'll get into that. Also, a big week for Princeton as the Tigers go 2-0 and in the Ivy League and maintain first place there. We will get to all of those a bit later. But let's begin the show in the Northeast Conference the always unpredictable NEC where Fairleigh Dickinson won its first five games under Tobin Anderson. This team was the big surprise in the first three weeks of conference play predicted sixth in the coaches preseason poll, but how things can change in just one week. Since then, FDU has lost to Sacred Heart and newcomer Stonehill who moved up from D2 both of those games at home, and lo and behold, St. Francis of PA finds itself in first place as we begin this week of play in the Northeast Conference. You never know what to expect in this league, but I do know this. If there's one coach who's seen it all in 24 seasons in the league, it's my friend and former South Catholic teammate, Anthony Latina, coach, Welcome back to the program. Good to see you. How you doing? <laughs> oh, great. It's great. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back on. And uh, things are things are good. Things are good. You know, we're we're plugging along here. We've had a, a, some ups and downs, but uh, we think we're in a decent position. And uh, you know, we had a, a, a decent weekend. And uh, hopefully, we can kind of take off from here. All right. Listen, when you look at this team, where it is now, eleven and eleven, four and three in conference play. Is this about where you expect it to be? Well, it's interesting because um, there's a lot of nuance in everything that happens. So if you had told me we'd be four and three and 11, 11 with what we've gone through, I would have taken it. Now I'd like to be, you know, truth be told, maybe, you know, uh, say 12 and 12 and 10, 13, nine, but you know, we've, we've, we haven't been, we have been very unlucky. Uh, with injuries, you know, Aiden Carpenter was a transfer from Siena's played four games for us this year. You know, he, he came in with a lot of uh, kind of fanfare. He's a terrific player. He's originally from Hand in Connecticut. Uh, he had 15 points in the first half against the university of Hartford of our first game, high ankle sprain. And he really hasn't been able to get on track. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, truth be told, we probably won't have for the rest of the year. So he, he was a guy when people were picking us high, I think he was a guy that factored into people's thought process. Another player, Brendan McGuire, who's from uh, Garden City, Long Island, a transfer from Quinnipiac, graduate student, terrific player. You know, he's been in nine lineup. He's only played seven or eight games. And he's, you know, arguably, I don't know if he's our best player, but he's certainly our most important player because these guys get everyone involved. And actually, one of the things I'm very excited about the FDU win is, you know, Brendan goes down with 14 minutes to go in the second half. In, in a game that was a two point game and we we're still able to hold on and, and win that game. So, you know, he has, he's only been available for a very short period of time. And Mike Sixsmith, who's, you know, a starter for us as well, has been 
has been out for a considerable amount of time. So we've had three starters out for a, a, a large majority of the season and still have put ourselves in a position to, you know, to be a top four seed and, and, and things like that. So I think it's a credit to um, our coaching staff in terms of the depth that we've been able to recruit and to certain players that have stepped up and maybe have performed at a higher level than uh, most people would have expected. And maybe even, maybe even we were expected. So I feel good about where we're at considering we have not caught a lot of breaks. You know, we went into this weekend, you know, or the Wagner game yesterday, minus two starters. And really, if you look at the beginning of the year, probably minus three of our top six guys that were projected early in the year and and, and still had a, had a very good chance to win that game. So uh, now one thing I'll say about injuries, nobody cares. <laughs> people just care you, about, you're right. <laughs> people just care about, you know, where are you? But I do think in terms of, honestly evaluating our team, I really feel good about the fact that we've been able to overcome some major injuries. You know, we, we've said, I, I, you know, when we met as a coaching staff this summer and we said the one guy that we would really struggle to, you know, replace is Brendan McGuire. And well, we haven't had him for very long and we've still been able to be uh, in a, in a competitive position and, 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 and still have a legitimate chance to certainly be a top four seed, if not a top two seed. So, I feel good about that. You know, we've had some definitely some guys step up and, and perform at, at a terrific level. I'm sure we'll we'll discuss all the guys in a second. But um, so even with these injuries, I mean, you had quite a week. You mentioned the Wagner loss. That was the third game in seven days for this team. Uh, go back to MLK Day. You're at home. You beat then uh, St. Francis of PA, who had been undefeated in conference play. And then you come back a few days later on Friday and you go to Fairleigh Dickinson and hand them their first loss in conference play. So you're, you're talking about two gigantic wins and then you turn around 40, you know, 40 some odd hours later and you have to go to Wagner to play a battle tested Wagner team. So it was quite a week coach. We talked about the lows of Wagner a little bit. Let's talk about those highs knocking off St. Francis of PA and then Fairleigh Dickinson on the road. What did it show you? about your team? Well, the, the thing that I felt good about, Dave Bike, who was my, one of my mentors, um, always says, good teams can win in the 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s. Well, that's what happened. We beat St. Francis, Pennsylvania, 54-51. Now, they came into the game as the number one three-point shooting team in the, in, in the league and, and one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country from a, from a statistical standpoint. And we did a very good job. Now, we didn't, we didn't score a lot of points, but we held them to 51 points. And, uh, you know, to score 54 points and still get a win against a team that was winning, that was in first place in the league, I thought was a testament to our team. And that's probably a game that in years past we wouldn't have been able to win. So I was proud of that and of our defense. And then we come back three days later and we score 62 points in the second half. We <laughs> scored more points in the second half against FDU than we did in 40 minutes against St. Francis, Pennsylvania. So I think it was a testament like, that's what it's going to take in in in, in the, once you get to the conference tournament is there's going to be days where the game is just not going your way. You're not making shots. So how, can you can you win a grinded out game? Or we couldn't stop FDU. Like we just couldn't stop them. They have these two guards that are just dynamite, and, dynamite. and they, we just couldn't stop them. And said so we kind of said, hey, we're going to have to keep attacking it. We're going to have to outscore these guys because if we think we're going to stop them, we're just not. The way those guys, the level that their guards were playing at against us was just was was they were unguardable so so i'm i'm really pleased that we were able to win in completely different fashion either, either game and that's a testament to a team that 
shows that it can win uh, tournament games because that's what you're going to have to do. You know, you have this plan in mind and then the game evolves or the game develops and, and, and you have to make adjustments. And can your team do that? Can you win a defensive struggle? Can you win in, in, you know, a, a shootout? And, and we were able to do that in those two games. And then even the Wagner game, you know, we win a really emotional game um, where Brendan McGuire goes down. We play our last 14 minutes and a half without him and still score a ton of points. Joey Riley goes nuts. Nico Gallette played like a player of the year, you know, and, and then we come back against Wagner and it's a slug fest of the game. It's, it's another defensive battle. We get down 15 with six minutes to go and cut it to three. Um, so I was real proud of the fact that with, with, you know, three, three of our projected top six guys out, out of the lineup. So, um, we had some different guys step up and hung in there. Obviously Wagner was able to kind of outlast us. You know, Donald Copeland is doing a wonderful job there. They, they, they play their brains out, you know, that whole Seton Hall, Shaheen and Donald and Bashir, like those guys just beat you up and they're so physical. So those are real tough games to prepare for. So, uh, so I was proud of our effort, even, even despite, uh, you know, taking a loss, I was, I was really proud of, of our, of our effort in the losing and losing uh, game. So the, the, the most difficult thing about the injuries is roles change. You know, we have a, a guard, Joey Riley, who you're familiar with, and, you know, he's really kind of settled into his role as a secondary ball hunter scorer, because because Brandon McGuire, our point guard, who's the, the transfer from Quinnipiac, who's you know got great size and an elite passer, like he's he's getting Joey some easy shots and some 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 catch and shoot threes, some layups and some on, on some some back doors and things of that nature. Now he scores twenty nine points in a great game, and all of a sudden he has to handle the ball for forty minutes against FDU against Wagner. So that's the tricky part is you develop this chemistry and, and guys and you you define these roles and now you're out two or three guys and now the roles have to change if you want to have a chance to win. So that's kind of what we're dealing with right now. And, um, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to watch some, we have the day off today. We're going to watch some film as a team. And, you know, I'm going to sit down with guys individually and say, Hey, I know you've been doing X, but we need you to do Y now until these guys get back. And, um, and that requires guys to sacrifice their game. It might require them to sacrifice shots. Uh, when guys come back, it might require people to sacrifice minutes. Um, so th- that's kind of, uh, you know, kind of a look into not only our season, but most teams have to deal with things like this. You know, we wish we didn't have to. We wish that our starting five was intact and all that, but that's not the case and generally isn't the case. So, you know, the teams that can deal with that and can adapt and have different guys step up are the guys that are going to be able to, to, to win some games. I mean, you look at a team like Rutgers who lost, you know, uh, McConnell and, and Mulcahy for large stretches. And, you know, the interesting thing about losing guys is certain other guys emerge. Right. So if you can keep the ship afloat and not take too many losses, it does, you know, the old saying that which does not kill you makes you stronger. Well, as long as we're not just down and out, it can make us better because some, some other guys are going to get some valuable experience, but it can also kill your morale or in a situation like a Seton Hall or a Rutgers, it can kill your at-large bid. You know, we don't have to worry about that as much, but the game is such a game of confidence that, you know, you, you take three or four losses that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise taken. And all of a sudden guys start questioning, boy, are we, are we good? Should we be winning? You're in a close game. Do you expect to win? Do you not expect to win? Um, those are the things that you have to kind of deal with, you know, because the reality is 
we could lose out the rest of the way and still have a chance to win the conference tournament. But that's not the easy route to go. The, the easy route is, is winning your fair share of games, developing chemistry, developing confidence, and going in kind of into the conference tournament, really believing that, you know, you can win any game because you have won enough games. Right. You you've won at home, you've won at the road on the road and in, in, in tough environments. You you've shown both coach. So you mentioned Joey Riley. He's, he's an interesting piece of the puzzle for you because uh, not only is he the son of one of your close friends and Joe Riley, the head coach at Wesleyan, uh, but he also went through struggles himself at Holy Cross uh, state player of the year coming out of Connecticut and he's Catholic uh, much ballyhooed. And then he, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't work out for him at Holy Cross, enters the portal, comes to you, and he's found resurrection in his basketball career. Thanks to Sacred Heart, he's found his right fit and comes up with a career-high 29 points in your win at FDU. What has it been like coaching him, somebody that you've known since he was an infant, and, and seeing him uh, rise up and, and have success in your program? Well, you know, Joey's a great story. First of all, I'm so proud of, of the way he, he's handled himself throughout his career. You know, he goes to East Catholic, plays for his uncle, a lot of pressure, you know, probably the best program, one or two best programs in the state of Connecticut. I mean, the guy goes like 111 and seven, four years. He's <laughs> East Catholic's all-time leading scorer, won two state championships. So the guy only experienced six, started as a freshman, started in the state championship game as a freshman. I think he scored 16 points as a freshman in a state championship game. And so only experienced success uh, in a high pressure situation, you know, then goes, wins a state championship as a freshman, wins a state championship as a senior, goes to Holy Cross, gets hurt that summer. Um, and, you know, gets an opportunity, but struggles, really struggles his first year. And, and then his second year did, doesn't go any better. And, you know, one of the things that he did is I think, and, and Holy Cross deserves some credit for this too, is, is, you know, he kind of was a scorer and they tried to make him a pure point guard. And, and with that comes some, some, some growing pains and he stayed positive and worked and, and, you know, when, when he decided to leave, um, he came in with such a different perspective than maybe he would have right out of high school. So I always say this, and I've told this to Joe and Joey as well, and to the dad and, and the son is, I think Holy Cross was the best thing that ever happened to him. I mean, those guys taught him how to deal with failure. They kind of beat him up a little bit in a good way. That's not, that's not a, you know, they, he went through all his growing pains and really matured. So then when he came to us, he already dealt with that. So when he didn't have success or, or had some ups and downs his first year with us, it was no factor. He had already dealt with that. He was so much more battle tested and mature. And, and he had a, good, a decent, a solid, I'd say a solid first year for us and kept working. And, and then this year, you know, it's, it's another interesting thing. You know, we bring in these three transfers that come in with a lot of, you know, uh, fanfare for lack of a better word. And two guys go down right away and his role changes and he takes advantage of it and he explodes. I think he had 20 something in our first game against Hartford. And he's really just taking advantage of every opportunity that's come to him. So I'm just so proud of his resiliency, his maturity, uh, his ability to adapt, his role, you know, and um, he's a great story because, you know, this is a guy who's had his, as storied a high school career as you can have. And he comes in and it doesn't go 
great for him. And it's not until almost year four that he really starts kind of experiencing a high degree of success. And most players don't come in with this type of career in high school. So I, I think he's a great lesson, you know, going forward in our program. Like, hey, if it doesn't go great year one or two, now he did transfer, so there's that. But like, if there's a coach that believes in you, keep working. Like, like it doesn't, you don't have to be great in year one and two to have a great career. You know, because most of the time you just remember years three and four or four and five if you redshirt or what have you or sit out. So just if, if you can kind of stick with it and you have a place that you feel comfortable in and a coach that believes in you, like things have a chance to work out. And Joey's having a monster year for us. And if the season was end today, was to end today, he'd be on one of the all league teams. I mean, who would have thought that two years ago? So um He's a great story and he's a great role model for not only our players that maybe are young players that aren't playing a ton, but any guys that come in going forward, like, Hey, you, you got to hang in there. Like it, it's not instant success all the time. That's not how the world works. And if you can learn from that and overcome that, you're going to, you're going to be so much better for it. And he's a perfect example. And now listen, why am I proud of him? Cause he had the mental toughness and the perseverance to be able to deal with that and still come back stronger than ever. So that's the lesson that I hope um, our young players and, and future players come in saying, hey, if you have this perseverance and this toughness, both mentally and physically, you can you can have a great career, you know, and and, and so I'm so proud of him, so happy for him. And and listen, it, you know, as, as you said, they're like family to us. So, you know, nobody was rooting for him more than me. So that it, the fact that it was able to work out is, is great. So we're real happy for him. Um, We've had a couple other guys in that situation. Nico Gallet right now who's a junior for us. He had four or five DNPs as a freshman. Coach's decision. This guy, you know, one year later, he's the most improved player in the league. And two years later, he's in the running for player of the year. You know, and so how many guys get DNPs? Multiple. I think it was five or six as a freshman. And now two years later, he's you know, a, a top, top five, certainly a top five player, maybe a top three player in the league. So I think that's a great lesson. You know, we live in a world that, and I get it, like everybody wants, there's so much pressure on these kids now because, you know, when you and I were playing, if, if, if you didn't have success, unless you were really looking for it, no one, no one knew, or certainly no one knew right that second, you know, all the guys played poorly, like it's on the internet within seconds, you know what I mean? Whether it's, our own Twitter page, put it out there or whatever, or people commenting on it and message boards. So these guys have to deal with it. And, and so I understand why, you know, everyone's like, well, kids these days, well, we, we've created this world where they're under such scrutiny at our level that like, man, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, you know, these kids are looking at their phones at freaking halftime. You know what I mean? It, it's wait, you know, wait. I thought I thought there's a no phone rule in the, in the locker room, coach. <laughs> well, there's a no phone rule when no coaches are in the locker room. You know, <laughs> unless you put them in a box. I mean, so like it, it's you know it's so difficult you know to to manage that, and it's and 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 I quite honestly, you know, I don't know what I would have done if I had. Everything. We'd probably be doing the same thing, and and you know, Dan Hurley brought up Dan Hurley brought up the same thing after the UConn game. You know, they they faced some adversity lately. And, you know, losing uh, multiple games in a row. And I think it was four out of five and and actually five out of six that UConn lost. And and he said it following the win over Butler that that especially at UConn, which is the oh, yeah. right. It's it's well, you guys the entire state roots for them. 
you know, they're under a microscope and they're on social media and they see the negative things that people are saying and writing about them and uh, videos. So, and you bring up the same point, which is, which is quite interesting. Well, you know, and, and I, I don't say that to like, hey, people have a right to say and do whatever they want. You know, you know, you try to remind people that, hey, listen, these are kids. And but, hey, you know, to those the old saying and I, I'm forgetting the verse in the Bible, but to those who much is given, much is expected. So obviously, when you go to a place like University of Connecticut or even at Sacred Heart and you play Division One athletics, there is a certain level of scrutiny. Now, you know, it just I think it's more. There's so much more a coach has to deal with in 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 preparing guys for that and really trying to say, hey, listen, it's about everybody in this room. And and not that you don't play for your fans, you certainly do. You love it. You love people saying good things about you. Never want to be part of a winner, but you know when when you don't perform, that's going to happen. And the more you can prepare your players to to deal with that, the better because it's going to be there, you know. And 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 that's part of what we're dealing with, and that's why. It's harder than ever to be good. There was an old saying that um, Bruce Webster, who was a legendary, he's passed away, was a legendary coach at University of Bridgeport. Uh, him and Dave Bike, my mentor, were, were great friends. And he always said, I don't know if we're all good. I don't know if we're all bad. But we're all about the same. And that's the truth. And, and there's not a big difference. It's who can deal with the injuries, who can deal with the adversity, who can deal with people saying negative things about them and, and still perform. And uh, that's what it's going to take for us. So I'm, I'm excited. I, I think we're positioned well. We, we might take some hits the next couple of weeks because we're going to be a little shorthanded. But if we can handle that adversity, I think we'll, we we got a chance to, to make a little run here. So uh, we got to stay positive. Um, can't get too up or too down. You're never as good as you think. You're never as bad as you think. Um, but you just got to be consistent in, in your approach and in your performance. And hopefully we'll, uh, you know, We'll, we'll be one of the last teams standing here in the Northeast Conference. Hey, we, I'd love to see it, Coach. You know, this program, Sacred Heart, had so much success at the Division II level, you know, under under Dave Bike. I mean, they won multiple. They went to NCAA tournament multiple times. They won a Division II national championship. Uh, you and I know that program very well growing up, and here you are coaching there. The one thing that they've never done is win the Northeast Conference tournament and get the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. I mean, do you think about that at any point in time? I know you're focused on the next game, the next opponent, but do you ever think about that and what it would mean for you in this program? Oh, I, I would be lying if I told you. I, I think about it every day. You know, I, and I, the reason I think about it every day is, you know, I am, and a lot of people say this, but I am truly blessed. Sacred Heart University is a wonderful place, it has great leadership. They have been so good to me and so loyal to me and our program. And so, and we have great people. We have we have people, if you ever look at Sacred Heart, you have people that work there 20 years, 25 years. We have so many people that have been there for so long. Why? It's a, it's not because anyone's getting rich. It's because it's a great place to work. It's a, it's a place where people care about each other. They look out for each other. And um, I've said this many times, one of my greatest motivations, if not my greatest motivation is, is to, is to repay the people that have been so good to me, both personally and professionally, and reward them with with an NCAA tournament because I know what a great place we are. I mean, if if you if you haven't been to our campus and or if if you if you haven't been here in years, you'll come by now and you'll you'll just be floored by what a beautiful place it is and and the people are are every bit as wonderful as as the aesthetics of uh, and the beauty of the campus. 
And so I would love for people to, you know, uh, I would love for people to kind of take a closer look. And, and how does that happen is, you know, usually, and I don't remember what coach said this, but athletics is usually the front porch of your university. Mm-hmm. And we have success and people will take a closer look at what a great place and they'll see how, you know, great we are in so many areas. You know, the school is built on excellence. And I hope that our program can match the excellence of the university. And 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 that motivates me, motivates me every day because here's the one thing. I've been doing this long enough and I've been in enough places and I've known enough people where it is not like this everywhere. You know, the loyalty that they've had to me through the years has been something that I do not take for granted. And I, the only way I know I can repay that is by hopefully giving them a winner and giving them something that they're proud of and that they can feel good about. And that represents them in a fashion of excellence that that university deserves to be represented. So I think about it every day. Now, I don't talk about it every day with our team because uh, we do have to focus on getting better the next day. But I know I, I do. It's it's in the kind of the back there of 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 what we want to do. So um, nothing would bring me more joy than than, than bringing an state tournament to Sacred Heart for for people like Dave Bike and Dr. Patillo, who you know, who was the president at Seton Hall when you were there. Yep. I mean, these are great people that have that have been so good to me. And, and um, I hope I get that. I hope I can deliver on that. We've been close. We've had chances. Um, and this year's another one. So uh, we will do everything we can to be as prepared as possible. And, and hopefully when, when, when it's time, we'll be ready to, 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 um, to deliver. Well, if there's anyone who could do it, Anthony, it's you a uh, little kid from the South end of Hartford, St. Augustine, South Catholic, all the way up to, to where you are today. Uh, it's great to see the progression that you've made in your career and, you know, the battles that you and I had uh, growing up. You were a few years younger than me, but but we were out there together. And and uh, it's great to see someone from the South End having so much success on a national level and, and uh, wish you continued success, Anthony. And great seeing you, my friend. Thanks, Brian. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, always great catching up with Anthony Latina at Sacred Heart. That league, by the way, He does a fantastic job. And I don't just say that because I've known him since he was about 12 years old. I don't say that because I know him, but he has lasted in that league. And you don't get to where you are without being good at what you do as an assistant at Central Connecticut under Howie Dickenman, as an assistant at Sacred Heart under Dave Bike. Two outstanding coaches who have coached at the highest level at their programs. And now Anthony's trying to do it here and do what no Sacred Heart team has ever done at the Division I level, and that's go to the NCAA tournament in a very challenging conference where they've had five different conference winners in the last five years. All right, that's how hard it is to win and repeat. No team has repeated as conference champions since LIU did it in 2011, 2012, and 2013. It's been 10 years. I know there's a high turnover in that conference. I know teams like Monmouth and Robert Morris and Mount St. Mary's and last year's champion Bryant aren't there anymore. But these new teams that come in, like Stonehill this year, can come in and compete right away with these teams because the turnover is so high. It's a conference to keep an eye on. FDU is right there. Sacred Heart is right there. It's going to be interesting in that conference. A lot of games to play 
and we're not even through the end of January. All right, let's go around the tri-state now. I'll begin with St. John's. This team is coming off the high of upsetting UConn on the road. Best win for this program in about four years. Johnny's fans are trying to finally say, this is the team we thought we would have at the beginning of the year. Finally, this is how we play. We get you to turn you over. We score in the fast break. We defend. We can go into Hartford and win at an arena versus a team like UConn that we haven't won at in over a decade. And then you turn around and you play as poorly as you do against Villanova at home in front of 13,000 fans, your biggest crowd of the year. Friday night at the Garden, the place is buzzing, waiting to explode. Villanova's not Villanova. We know that. But you wouldn't know it by the final score. St. John's had this game. They were up four with 649 to play. And they scored just three points the rest of the way. Because Mr. Hyde reared its ugly head again at MSG. What did we see? Poor shot selection, turnovers, missed layups, too much one-on-one street ball. When they led by four, look at these next possessions. Turnover, Adewusu, missed layup Posh, missed layup Store, turnover Curbelo, missed layup Curbelo, turnover Curbelo, missed layup Adewusu. I mean... It's like Groundhog Day. Posh and Curbelo could not have played any worse. They were combined four for 17 with eight turnovers, and Posh found himself on the seat during stretches of crunch time. Supposedly your leader on the bench in crunch time against Villanova, Mike Anderson is likely going to have another winning season. Here's a coach who we should be applauding. We should be, I'm not saying build a statue, but we should be praising the fact that he has lasted more than two decades in the NCAA coaching ranks and has never had a losing season. Dean Smith can't say that. Mike Krzyzewski can't say that. But what does he have to show for it? St. John's fans don't care about winning seasons. Like many other fans, like every other fan, all they care about is getting to the NCAA tournament. And in year four, it's not likely going to end up that way for Mike Anderson. So he took over a team that Chris Mullen had just taken to the NCAA tournament and then got fired. He takes over that team and St. John's actually goes backwards. They don't build off that success and they don't get back to the NCAA tournament. Now, could they make it? Sure, things could happen, but it doesn't appear to be headed in that direction. You tell me what this team has done outside of that UConn win that gives you hope that they're going to make it. 
because I'll sit down and listen to you. I don't think you can come up with it. The lone bright spot on this team is Joel Soriano. Man, has he been good. He's having an all-time season. Look at, look at what happened to him recently. In case you missed it, he was just named to the Oscar Robertson midseason watch list for player of the year. The United States Basketball Writers Association have named Joel Soriano one of 50 players in the country on the midseason player of the year watch list. Only five players from the Big East are on that list right now. Sule Boom from Xavier, Bryce Hopkins from Providence, Ryan Kalkbrenner from Creighton, Adama Sinogo from UConn, and Joel Soriano from St. John's. He has put himself in consideration not only for first-team All-Big East, but player of the year in the conference, and his teammates aren't helping him one bit. His coach isn't putting his team and his teammates in a position to succeed. Mike Anderson shoulders the blame here. I don't know how he survives it, but man, Joel Soriano, I love watching him play. He is one of the main reasons why I watch St. John's. He is a double-double machine. Leading the nation with 17 of them. And there's not anything team-wise that this team can enjoy right now. And it's only going to get worse this week. They have to go to Creighton. How many of us think that they're going to win that game? Just when you think St. John's is taking a step forward, they take two steps back. And I don't know how they get out of it. Now, Seton Hall is a team that took a huge step forward and knocked off UConn coming back from 17 points down, their biggest comeback in 17 years, a game that UConn led for all but eight seconds. Seton Hall stealing victory from the jaws of defeat on a putback and layup by Casey and Defo with 1.6 seconds to play. The Prudential Center was rocking like it hadn't done all year. That was some atmosphere at the Prudential Center in that UConn-Seton Hall game. The students were back from break. The place was filled in the lower bowl. That second half was one of the best second halves I've ever seen Seton Hall play. Down 14 at the half, and they just chipped away, chipped away, never took their first lead of the game until there was about a minute 12 to go. Then lost the lead on two free throws. On, you know, a head-scratching foul by Alamir Dawes at midcourt. Got a little ahead of himself, reached in, but it didn't matter because somehow, some way, you felt like Seton Hall was going to win that game when they put the ball in the hands of Kaderi Richmond, who UConn still hasn't found a way to slow down. So you, UConn loses another heartbreaker. Their fans, their players are devastated by this loss. Five out of six games they lost in a row. Seton Hall's riding a high, going into Marquette, another ranked team coming in, and they lose all that momentum. Thanks to Cam Jones. Thanks to Oso Igadaro. He was seven for seven from the floor. 
And in two games this season, I, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this. 15 out of 16, 92% from the floor and 34 points against Seton Hall. But as good as Cam Jones and Iguodaro were, the story of this game clearly were the turnovers. Seton Hall just shot themselves in the foot time and time again. The first 12 minutes of this game were, were fabulous. This game was tied at 24. But then the turnovers started mounting and up and up and up. And every time you turn around, they're throwing lazy passes, dribbling the ball out of bounds, throwing more lazy passes. One turnover after another led to point after point. 26 turnovers led to 32 Marquette points. That's the ball game. And after the game, Holloway began his press conference. You, you, you want to see a coach who's frustrated. They're always frustrated. They're always down after a loss, right? And then they have to go into a press conference. The last place on earth they'd rather be. I understand that. But it's part of their job. So after there's a cool down period, after they talk to the team, after they gather their thoughts, in strolls Shaheen Holloway to the press conference in front of about, I'd say about 25 reporters there. Head down, trying to gather his thoughts. And to his credit, he was as honest as you could be. And I know you've read the quotes by now, but here's what he had to say, uncut, putting the blame on himself at the start of his press conference. Here's Shaheen. I'm gonna keep it very simple for you guys today. Very simple. You know, you gotta give Marquette a lot, a lot of credit. We got our ass kicked, period. You know, um, you know they say that you know, when you win, it's on the players. When you lose, it's on the coach. So this is on me. You know, I, I allow us to practice like shit the last two days, and that's how we played. And that's what happened. When you don't prepare well, you don't, you don't play well, period. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not rocket science. I've been saying it the whole time. When we prepare well, we play well. When we don't, that's what happened. You know, we kind of got back down to earth. Guys got big-headed. We got humble quick. I give him credit. I do. Shaheen Holloway does not sugarcoat it. We went through years of Kevin Willard protecting his players, shielding his players, calculating his thoughts and words on what he wants to say. And now we have Shaheen Holloway uncut. You see, he's frustrated. He's clearly not happy about being five and five in the conference. And afterward, he said, what coach would be happy being five and five? He feels like they should be seven and three or six and four. I don't blame him. So then after fielding the questions, at the end, Adam Zagoria from NJ.com asked the question that's on every Seton Hall fan's mind. It's a fair question. I can't tell you how many texts I receive throughout the week. Hey, did you hear anything about Yetna? When's Yetna coming back? Well, that's what Adam Zagoria asked Shaheen Holloway. What's the status on Alexis Yetna? And Shaheen said this. Adam, please, brother. I don't, that kid hasn't, you know, you gotta keep it, I'm keeping it simple. He ain't fing playing this year. All right? He ain't fing playing. All right? If he was playing, then we would have him. I'm tired of asking, answering questions about this kid. Like, he ain't playing. He ain't helping us. All right? Thank you, guys. 
boom. One of the most jaw-dropping moments I have ever seen in person in a post-game press conference. Brutally honest. The man wears his emotions on his sleeve. And I don't think that he directed his frustration at Adam Zagoria. Because anyone could have asked that question. I, I just think it's not frustration at the question or the person asking the question. Maybe that was 20% of it. But I'd say 80% of it is the frustration of not being able to have a backup center and a player of Alexis Yetna's caliber that Shaheen knows can help this team as soon as he walks onto the court, knowing that he's not going to walk on the court. So there you have it. Alexis Yetna is not playing for Seton Hall this year, so don't ask the question again. So now, Seton Hall minus Alexis Yetna has to prepare for Butler. They have one week, and I think this bye week comes at a great time because they need time to regroup. I don't think it would be good if Seton Hall were to have a game on Tuesday this week. Their next two games at Butler, at St. John's, two teams who they've beaten handily at home by double digits, by more than 20 points. Am I saying that Seton Hall is going to win these games? No. Road games are tough. Teams play different at home. They're energized by their fans. They could easily go in there and lose to St. John's by 20 points. Okay? But Butler is a team. Look at their stats. When this team loses, they really lose. Butler has seven losses in the Big East by an average of 22 points. They're not losing close games, home or away. They're getting blown out in losses. If Seton Hall can go in there and take the crowd out of it early, they could and should come out with a win. They have a week to get healthy. They have a week to get their minds straight. Who knows if Manny Bates is going to play. Manny Bates is Butler's best player, best postman, suffered a knee injury against St. John's, and he's been out since. And Thad Mata said he hopes to have him back for the stretch run, but that's pretty vague. I mean, a guy who averages 12 and a half points and two blocks a game, that's a big piece missing for Butler. And Seton Hall needs to go into Butler and take care of business whether or not Butler has Manny Bates or not. UConn did exactly what they needed to do against Butler at the XL Center. And, and I felt this one coming, coming off the, the heartbreaking, uh, devastating loss to Seton Hall. You knew Butler was running into a buzzsaw, and that's exactly what happened. Danny Hurley was back, albeit with a mask. Hurley was back. The big three were back. Jordan Hawkins, Adama Sinogo, Alex Caraban. The return of Samson Johnson, who hasn't played since the first game of the season. UConn is getting healthy. They were back to being UConn. They won this game by 30. It was never close. I'm not going to judge UConn by their five out of six losses, and I'm not going to judge UConn based on a 30-point win over an undermanned and overmatched Butler team. But let's see where this team builds from here. The AP poll came out on Monday. They're now 19th in the country. 
the voters still believe in them, the coaches believe in them, are the players going to start believing in them? Beginning Wednesday, Xavier coming to stores. Look at their schedule. Like Seton Hall, UConn is 5-5 five and five through 10 Big East games. The toughest part of their Big East schedule is behind them. Over the next 10 games, beginning with Xavier coming in, they will play Xavier, Marquette, and Providence all at home. Seton Hall as well. They'll play DePaul twice, Georgetown away, Nova away. Why can't they go 7-3? and three? Why can't they go 8-2? and two? I think the worst of their schedules behind them will know more after the Xavier game. If they win that, they could be looking at a four-game win streak going into Tuesday, February 7th, hosting Marquette and Hartford. Home to Xavier. Then they have DePaul and Georgetown going into Marquette. Win those three. Go to eight and five with Marquette coming in. That's what you're looking at, UConn fans. It's doable. It's right there for the taking. Let's see if the real UConn team shows up. Now, the other story in the tri-state is Princeton. First place in the Ivy League. They beat Penn at the Palester last Monday and then outlasted Dartmouth 93-90 in overtime. They're 14-5, and 5-1 in the Ivy League. First place by a game over Cornell and two games over Yale, who, oh, by the way, they visit this Saturday in New Haven. The story last week was Tosan Awoma. What a week for the preseason Ivy League player of the year. He had back-to-back 20-point games for the first time all season. This team is overcoming adversity. This team is gelling. This team right now can put a stranglehold on the Ivy League over the next two games. Huge game Saturday, as I mentioned, against defending Ivy League champion Yale. Then they take on Cornell at home, a team they already beat on the road. Win both, and they are in command of the Ivy League. But it's not just Tosun. It's Matalaco. It's Ryan Longborg. They have done it from the outside all season. And how about freshman Caden Pierce? This kid is improving every game. He had back-to-back double-doubles last week against Penn and Dartmouth. It's not just a one-man team. The pieces around Tosan Awoma have been there, and they're getting better as this team begins to gel. Huge week coming up. Yale and then Cornell win them both, and this team is staring at a number one seed in the Ivy League tournament. A lot can happen, I know, but if you look ahead, and we can do that, the Ivy League tournament is at Princeton. Advantage Tigers. Trending up as of January 23rd. By the way, follow me on Twitter, at Brian Dino. Every week, I have my Tri-State Basketball Players of the Week. This week, it went to Adama Sinogo, Kaderi Richmond, Awoma, and Sacred Heart's Joey Riley. You heard me talking about him with his head coach, Anthony Latina, earlier in this program. The transfer from Holy Cross has found new life in college at the Division I level at Sacred Heart in Fairfield. Good for him. All right, follow me on Twitter, at Brian Dino. Subscribe to us, the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, wherever you listen. 
like it, give us a review, and please share it with your friends if you like our content. I'm Brian DiNovellis. Enjoy the games, everyone. We'll see you next time.